Good day. You're listening to Radio Alhara. I'm Stefan Christoph. This is my monthly artist interview that I contribute to the station. I'm recording this introduction in Paris, but I will be sharing an interview that I recorded last month in Brooklyn, New York, with Yasmin Abdullah. Yasmin is an artist who has a very developed community practice and is involved in some key organizations that are challenging gentrification and the housing crisis in New York City as it impacts artists, but also as it impacts all of New York. Yasmin works with the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space and also ABC No Rio, both in the East Village. This conversation explores the ways that the housing crisis is impacting various communities in New York and different artistic practices, community-based art that is involved in challenging this great injustice that is being imposed by real estate capital on the city of New York. Yasmin also talks about her own practice, um, the types of work that she does in terms of sculpture and work with found objects. It's a great conversation, and it was a pleasure to record this with Yasmin uh, in Brooklyn. I contribute a monthly artist interview to Radio Hara, and this is my contribution for September 2022. I'll be back next month. Thank you so much to Yasmin for the exchange, and here it is. I'll speak to you next month. Take care. All right, so this series of conversations looks at you know the realities of gentrification, particularly in Montreal, but also in other cities. There's uh, different histories, but also similar systems at play. In, in, in New York, of course, it's a city that has experienced extreme gentrification. Artists have been engaging with trying to challenge that process. Uh, there's quite a few important, very grassroots um, institutions in the East Village of Manhattan. One of them is the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space, which is in a building that was a squatted building for a long time that was legalized after a long struggle. Uh, there's still a very active uh, space there and um, public space and artists are involved, including Yasmin, who I'm sitting with, uh, who is involved in that process. So maybe first, if you could just introduce yourself and talk a bit about the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space, why you're involved uh, as an artist, why it's important to you. My name is Yasmin Abdallah. Um, I got involved with the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space um, several years ago. Um, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Wow. Okay. Um, and um, I was drawn to it um, because I was really interested I've always been interested in um, history and um, the changing landscape and uh, you know coming from uh, an artistic and anthropological background I'm very curious about um, how people define space and how space influences people and sort of that uh, symbiotic relationship um, and so when I was um, a grad student at Pratt, um, where we're sitting now, um, I took a class called The Invisible Histories of New York City, and I started to look at uh, abolitionist history um, in New York 
and we started to uh, map out potential sites where um, there might have been stops on the Underground Railroad and we were looking at um, areas that were significant um, to abolitionist history um, and um, the idea of imminent domain. There was a space uh, uh, downtown Brooklyn uh, on Duffield Street, um, which was uh, a place of contention where uh, archeologists had found a significant hole in the space and thought that it may uh, have been um, a potential site for um, the Underground Railroad. And uh, while it was being um, researched more, um, the city or developers came in and were trying to just quickly demolish it and there are hotels surrounding it um, so there was a lot of um, political um, back and forth um, and you know as I started delving deeper into the histories of New York you know of course growing up as, as a punk kid um, I knew about you know the Lower East Side music scene um, I knew about you know ABC No Rio and CBGB and um, I knew about the squatting movement and um, you know the shows that they used to have at Sea Squat and I came across this museum that was uh, in the storefront of Sea Squat and I thought what's a museum doing there and so I checked it out and I got to know the people that had um, started it um, Bill DePaulo is the director and he's really spearheaded it and and uh, you know it's mostly volunteer run um, where we have people that were active in, um, you know, the housing movements um, that were there and witnessed um, the, you know, police brutality that pushed back against the city, um, you know, destroying people's homes, um, demolishing community gardens, um, you know, watching sort of the um, developers just just try to steamroll people and you know, it was really inspiring to see the resistance and to see the yeah. people that persisted despite of it. And, um, you know, we're able to, to make this, um, you know, such a, a prominent visual that, you know, was uh, a national and an international, um, you know, uh, motivation for other people to also see what's possible when you push back. Um, and so I, you know, started going to events and started to get involved. And um, that's sort of, you know, how, how we did it. So we have artists that were, you know, back in the 80s were wheat pasting um, signs to save buildings and to uh, that were out there protesting. We have younger generations that were inspired by them, that learned from them. Um, we've had classes there and workshops where we're doing zine making. We're trying to save um, the Sharis building, another historic landmark, um, you know, and just really trying to um, bring different communities together mm. to just sort of strengthen um, our solidarity. Wow. And so that's sort of Morris's mission. Um, we, you know, we uh, have partnered with uh, Time's Up, which is our sister sort of environmental branch uh, in Williamsburg and Brooklyn. Um, which helped kind of forge the bike lanes um, and the greenways that we have in New York now. Yeah, through like critical mass. Critical mass, yeah. Protests, bike protests. Exactly, yeah. Um, so the idea of taking up space, reclaiming space, um, is sort of the ways that we're doing that. And so we partner with community gardens. Um, we partner with, um, you know, other historic buildings um, and 
you know, and, and volunteers and people that are passionate about, you know, working together for the greater good. So awesome. that's what we do. <laughs> um, there's this one uh, thought that kept coming to my mind when you were just speaking, which is about living history mm-hmm. um, and sort of the idea of thinking about, you know, moments of struggle in the past, not as historicized, uh, not as sort of being put into just an archival setting, but as part of a living conversation. And I think your work tries to, I mean, you're, you're working with a number of organizations, but it's trying to like build on efforts to make sure that this process of resistance to gentrification and the maintenance of public autonomous spaces in the city is not sort of historicized, but is like part of an, an actual process now. Um, there's a big difference there between between like something that's like oh this happened before and it becomes romanticized and but then it's not alive. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, there's something also a a, a bit um, upsetting when you're like oh there's nothing I can do about this horrible occurrence that happened. So you know talking about the issues that are happening in real time it gives people that motivation that maybe there is the possibility to to change the situation to change the narrative and to um you know it is important to have to archive conversations but to actually hear people speak to sort of see that momentum uh, gives people a platform um so yeah i think the idea of living history like it's history the the moment you know you finish uttering the sentence but there's something about you know the the present where you can there's still change is still possible so respect yeah so what what does that mean for new york today i mean you're an artist and educator living and working here where where do you feel like things are at in terms of questions around housing rights and gentrification I mean, some people might say, oh, well, it's gotten to such an extreme level in New York of inequality and massive development that they think it's sort of fini, it's over, you know. But obviously for people living here, it's not because you're here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's really challenging. Um, You know, there was that moment uh, during the pandemic where everyone just sort of escaped you know, they there was like this escape from New York moment, and uh, a lot of people fled to, um, outside the city. Some people bought homes in the suburbs. Some people moved, you know, uh, up the Hudson or you know to Connecticut or across the country um, and relocated. And for that bit, rents dropped. Um, there was almost like this um, collective thought where it was like we're all struggling right now, so maybe we can all just be a little bit kinder and a little bit more considerate, you know, um, just in terms of one human to another. Um, but that quickly changed and the rents skyrocketed and they're higher than ever. Um, so it is, uh, a moment where, you know, it's uncertain. Um, you know, I don't know how long I'll be able to afford to stay here. Um, the cost of living, you know, our wages haven't gone up despite inflation, despite the you know jacking up of the rents uh recently our new mayor eric adams uh, a cop um has you know decided to let a lot of the um like he's changed regulations 
Yes, they changed the regulations, so they allowed a lot of the, um, oh, I can't think of the name. Like rent stabilization. Stabilization, yes. Yeah. Um, they allowed an increase for that. Um, like the percentage. Yes, okay. yeah. So we're seeing a lot of that. A lot of people are going to be priced out. Okay. They're destroying a lot of historic homes. Um, and, you know, they they say that it's for affordable housing. But when the time comes, a lot of these places remain empty. Um, or, you know, affordable is not really affordable. Like you need a certain amount yeah. that you don't even, I don't qualify for a lot of affordable homes. Um, and a lot of people don't. And yet we still have this like housing crisis. And, um, you know, they, they form these task force to try to say that they're addressing the issue, but it's just bureaucratic where they're just, it's just to placate, you know, the fact that it's it's a visible problem mm. but they're not actually doing anything about it and it, it just feels like the crisis is uh it was already a crisis and it's just continuing to escalate so so when you describe the situation there's like these small nodes in new york of space that still exists that people won so, you know, you're involved with the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space. There's these gardens. You've engaged in the, in the East Village, the community gardens. I know that there's other parts of the city where there are some too. Um, why is continuing to sort of like be involved in these spaces in the context that you described important for you as an artist, as an educator? I think they're uh, more important than ever because we're losing so much... Um, public space we're losing so there's not a lot of spaces to really congregate there's not a lot of green space um you know and i think the pandemic uh has further isolated a lot of people um i think that you know we're seeing a huge rise in um, the mental health crisis um so all of these things when you can find these little spaces these little pockets amidst amidst the sea of just um you know, this overwhelming fear of, you know, what's next, what else is going to be thrown our way. I think that um, it's a lifeline and I think it's a way to, to sort of um, collectivize and to just know that other people care about the same things that you do that want to fight against, um, you know, these, you know, these bureaucratic, um, forces that really are just greedily gobbling up as much space and as many resources, you know, without a care about um, who it affects and what damage it does. So I think these, um, you know, these spaces, these organizations uh, are vital, you know, I think that they really are like a, um, a lifeline, you know. You talked about you talked about collectivizing. You're also an artist. For a lot of artists, that's difficult um, to be part of collective processes. Uh, can you talk about why you've decided to hold the patience to be involved in collective efforts um, as an activist also, right? Like, that's a choice, and um, it's not always easy. Yeah, it can, it can be challenging. Um, sometimes, you know, collaborations 
don't work out, you know? So when, when it does, when you can work with other people and it flows, uh, I've realized how special and rare it is. Um, but yes, it, it can be uh, an exercise in, in patience and it can be very humbling too. Um, mm. You know, I think it's really important to listen to what other people have to offer. And I love working with people that are, you know, um, different kinds of artists or, or non-artists, you know, um, you know, because we come from such different um, perspectives that we are able to cover a lot of ground and to kind of you know, view things, you know, outside of our own periphery. And I, I think that, um, yeah, it's very humbling and it, and it, and it, um, it's very educational. Um, and so I think, you know, being a solo artist is hard. You, it's a lot for one person to try to tackle. Um, so, you know, when you have a group, you can share the workload, you can, um, you know, test ideas out, you know, artists, we, mm-hmm tend to think outside the box and sometimes you know we ask ourselves like is this completely you know mm-hmm. like uh, out there or is, is there something relevant is there something to this mm-hmm. and so I think just to conversations there's so much that's born out of just mm-hmm. dialogue and just throwing things back and forth mm-hmm. um, and seeing where they go so yeah I think I think it's a it's a act of love and an act of um generosity to sort of have that that give and take um so yeah there's you know there's moments where I think working solitarily on your own work is very therapeutic but um at the same time we're able to kind of offer a wider sort of skill set um and breadth of um projects and opportunities and and things that will attract other people to it so that we can kind of grow you know um it's almost like if you think about like um I don't know like a wheel right like a bicycle wheel you've got like the little main circle and then there's like the little um spokes that come out and it just continues to kind of grow outward and so you know if you think about a organization um like Morris right which covers a lot of different facets um it's almost like you know the the octopus but there's all these different tentacles there's different arms of the operation and there's the freedom to kind of grow and try things out and you know see you know who 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 responds to that so so we grow too so i think wow uh so as a solo as an artist um involved in this community process uh museum of reclaimed urban space morris you mentioned um, but can you just talk a bit about your own practice just for people to um, maybe who would like to know about what you do um, as an artist engaged with these issues? So I am um, very multidisciplinary as an artist. I, um, you know, make sculpture, I paint, uh, do prints, um, installation. Um, I really am drawn to like discarded materials and found objects um and uh, you know it it was kind of born out of being a kid and uh you know my family not really knowing anything about art um so it was just sort of picking up objects and turning them over and thinking about like what they could be you know just that that being starved for the need to create and not having the tools to create so you had to get kind of inventive Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I've always kind of been drawn to sort of non-traditional materials. Um, and it's really nice to think about their intended um, use and then their sort of graveyard destinies. You know, we use objects once and then we throw them away, you know. What does it mean to, like, preserve something, you know, to stubbornly extend its life, you know, to think about, you know, a piece of plastic or, you know, uh, an old, I don't know, a sh- old shoe, you know, it's worn out, it's not wearable, it's not comfortable, but there's something about it when you take it apart and you think about like, well, someone made this, you know, what was the labor like behind that, you know, what was this material sourced from, you know, where did it come from, what was the process like, and to sort of um, deconstruct it, you know, so it's conceptual as much as it is like materially challenging and then reconfiguring it. And so, you know, it's reflecting a lot about like the, the waste, the abundance of, of garbage, the climate, you know, our crisis in that sense. Um, and then, you know, teaching um, all these different grade levels from, you know, kindergarten to college and adults and everything in between, you know, I encourage them because I'm like, this is your planet, it's getting worse, you know, how can we you know, think about the things that we buy. How can we extend yeah. their life? How yeah. can we turn this into something that doesn't end up in the ocean or, yeah. you know, um, and sort of reduce our, our destructive innate nature. Um, so that's sort of like what I do with my practice. And so I think like the activism and the teaching and the artistry are all sort of wound together, you know. Your work often uh, also, like you've worked with these very grassroots art spaces, uh, activist spaces around questions of gentrification, and your own practice is dealing with um, sort of like the realities of like city life and objects here. And yeah, I'd really encourage people to check out your work. We'll share some links in the description. Um, but you also try to navigate these questions in your practice with institutions and educational institutions. Um, can you talk a bit about why you've chosen to do that as an educator? Um, I'm sure that there's some really excellent aspects to engaging with you know people of all ages around artistic practice, but also some challenges to deal with institutions. I, I know some is an understatement. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, the institution, like, there's always going to be limitations to what they want you to teach, um, what you're able to teach, whether it's in terms of, um, you know, the comfort of the board, you know, the people at the top, the decision makers, or whether it's more of a practicality in terms of, um, you know, um, feasibility, you know, of carrying out uh, a process, you know, um, you know, is there any sort of toxic repercussions to using certain materials? Um, you know, do you have the proper tools or machinery? Um, space is always an issue. Um, so yeah, the institution also, um, there is always sort of this inherent message that you are um, encouraged to sort of, you know, fall in line with. And so it's, um, I think, the role of the artist to sort of kind of push and poke and see 
what you can, you know, I think of the idea of the institution as something malleable and to sort of, you know, being someone that's like very texture based and, you know, uh, very much drawn to like the tactile, like I see it as a very malleable idea also, you know, um, and so there's always like the sort of playful cheekiness, like, well, can, can we get away with this, you know? So, um, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, artists should be thinking about and they, and they are, you know, um, for, for the ma majority of, um, the contemporary art, uh, you know, field, but, uh, yeah, I think that that's important because I think that we push the institutions to do better, you know, by having these conversations and kind of spotlighting the, um, the problems, they are kind of being held accountable. Like we're seeing a lot of this now with a lot of um, museums and, you know, universities um, where they're kind of being called out um, for things that um, demonstrate like uh, inequitable or questionable, uh, you know, decisions or people in power. And so I think, um, you know, artists, you know, they're writing about issues, they're uh, having demonstrations, mm. they're, you know, using their visual vocabulary, they're, you know, combating stuff over social media, they're out there protesting, they're doing performance art in the street, whatever it is that, you know, whatever it is that you do, um, it, it, it's, it's causing a ripple effect. Mm. And I think whatever we can do um, to kind of push to a more progressive and equitable direction is good, um, particularly when the power balance has shifted so far dramatically. You know, the pendulum has swung so far to the right that it's it, we really need to kind of balance that out. So, you know, I think that's the, the role of the artist to do that, sure. the provocateur. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.